bad about my boss Take a break from work today's no total loss Welcome, welcome, welcome to this All Right Enough with the Wind Already episode of South Dakota Game Fishing Parks podcast and blast. I am your host, Game Fishing Parks communication specialist Chris Hull. And if you are like me, you've had it with this wind. And you know it's bad when South Dakotans, lifelong South Dakotans, are like, man, can you believe this wind? Because it's windy here all the time. Like our four trees don't block the wind. But this has been something uh, kind of on a whole nother level. But Hope uh, everybody out there is surviving it, and when it does lay down, you're getting outside and doing some fun stuff. I know fish are biting uh, pretty much every corner of the state. There's still even some ice up in the northeast region. I don't know if it's fishable, but I know some of the ice is keeping our crews out from spawning walleyes. So, uh, But I hope you're getting out and enjoying it, whether it's fishing or turkey hunting or golfing or flying a kite, which would be awesome weather to do but i uh, hope you're well got the last of our regional fisheries folk talk today with my buddy jake davis and we're going to talk western south dakota about the western half maybe of south dakota uh in the black hills um, some really cool opportunities for shore fishing and small water fishing and big lake fishing too with some walleyes and stuff out in jake's region so uh Hope you like it and give it a listen. Take it away, Jigger. Welcome, welcome to this post-Easter edition, I guess, of the GFP Podcast Blast. I am Chris Hull, and today with me, a uh, special guest, a uh, buddy of mine, Jake Davis. Little known fact about Jake, he's the lone survivor of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Got to admit, Chris, happy to be here, and I do love Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> I was thinking of a way to like throw you a curveball right off the bat, and that popped into my head. So, uh, uh Jake and I are uh, have similar musical tastes, and and uh, we talk about Gordon Lightfoot strangely enough a lot. So, Jake, thanks for thanks for being with us. Um, what's your what's your new title, Jake? It... Sure. So, currently, the the new role is I'm a, the Fisheries Management Program Administrator. So, oversee six of the nine programs within the aquatic section. And so really, in short, just about anything that doesn't involve raising a fish at a hatchery or fish health, everything else, aquatic habitat and access, aquatic invasive species, non-game, surveys, research, management, right on. Uh, anything in those in that realm falls uh, falls in my shop now. Cool. And and I, you're going to be on, you're the, the last of the kind of the regional guys to talk about our guys and gals to talk about our, our fishing kind of forecast for the spring i've only met the new person briefly who what's his name jeremy kentz is the new area fisheries supervisor in rapid city right. and since you're kind of a wheel you sent him out to shovel out 
gnats on Oahu while they're spawning and you get to sit and talk with me? Is that the deal? Yeah, no, he's doing the fun <laughs> stuff. He's actually out on the water, the things that I used to get to do. But uh, right. uh, in, in my previous role, I was uh, I was the full water fisheries research biologist for four years and then the area fisheries supervisor right. for six years. I'll, I'll cover for Jeremy while he's out doing the fun stuff. God, it's been 10 years. You've been, yeah. you've been with us for 10 years. Jeez, that's crazy. I, I, somebody asked me the other day and I said, I think I've been 12. But my wife just looked over at me and she, she was like, your daughter's 14. I went, oh yeah. So maybe it's 16. I don't, I don't know. So it's, it's easy to lose track. Um, you, uh, we're just talking about spawning briefly. Crew's just kind of getting started on Hawaii. Is that right? Yeah. Today, I believe, is the first day we're going to have nets soaking in the Grand and the Moreau. Um, just been waiting for the weather to cooperate. Uh, we've been delaying this start for quite a while. It's just been uh, just been a lot of wind and, and just not conducive for sending staff out. Hasn't been safe conditions, but uh, hopefully we got our window now. And then in the Northeast, uh, we're still going to wait a few days. There's still some ice in that part of the world on some of those waters, and water temps are cool. So, again, it just we're, we're right on the cusp, but uh, just getting started. Right. I'm kind of hoping it'll work out um, that I can get with Mark Ermer and that crew maybe next week and go out and do a day with them and do some filming. Uh, I don't want to do Oahe because every time I go, the wind blows, and I end up shoveling nets all day. And I'm too old to do that. What uh, hey, what's our what's our egg goal? I know at one point I had heard it, but maybe it went up a little bit. Yeah, so we we started internally around ninety five million, um, but that has gone up a little bit. We've had some additional requests from our federal partners, such as Gavin Point National Fish Hatchery. They didn't get as many eggs uh, from Nebraska as they, they normally do, and egg success wasn't wasn't great. So we're going to supply them with some. The good thing is, is those fish end up in South Dakota waters. So I mean, even though those eggs are going to a federal hatchery. We're still getting those fish for South Dakota users. Um, and then additionally, we may take some for the state of Nebraska. We'll see. Sometimes we do some swaps that way. But I think we're around 105 to 110 million is the goal at the moment. That's kind of below average from what our goal is normally, right? Yeah, it's a little lower. Last year was a big year, primarily because 2020, we didn't stock any walleye the year of COVID. So with that, a number of waters that normally would have been stocked in 2020 were pushed back to 2021. So we ended up taking over 200 million eggs last year, which was a, a record. So with that, though, um, this year's egg request was uh, reduced. Sure. What, you know, we've ta I've talked with some of the other guys about, you know, the, the process, the spawning and stuff. All those eggs go to Wabe. Um I've been in that hatchery. 200 million eggs seems like a lot. Is that about as much as that crew in that facility can handle? They were pretty close to the max, if <laughs> I remember correctly. But, uh, you know, that's some of the, the reasons that we're looking at changing our, our hatchery production into the future. Um, we've, we've been looking with uh, recirculating aquaculture systems, these RAS systems. Uh, the idea being that you could potentially have small-scale facilities uh, just about anywhere they don't take up all that much space and so actually last year was the first time we actually hatched some eggs at Cleghorn Springs that's the first time we hatched walleye there so in Rapid City and this year they're going to get some more and then some of our long-term plans have these small RAS systems kind of spread throughout the state such as Fort Pier, Rapid City and this would just increase our capacity to hatch 
and, and potentially raise not just walleye, but a number of different species. But uh, we're still right in the, the infancy of that program. So we're going to take a few million eggs this year and bring them back to Cleghorn and Rapid and, and just kind of continue to work out the bugs of those systems as, as we continue to grow with them. Sure. And I think it, it, for good reason that the spawning stuff kind of gets the attention and, and folks talk about that, you know, about this time of year, wherever I go, people are, hey, how come you aren't spawning? I'm, you know, where are the nets at? And, you know, kind of half joking, well, I'll go and empty them out, you know, and everybody seems to know about that. But before we started recording, you talked about like your trap and transfer crews kind of getting ramped up, but the weather's not really cooperating. Talk about the importance of those, Jake, and, and how that fits into the whole kind of fish management, fish for everybody kind of thing. Sure. No, absolutely. Our trap and transfer efforts can be really productive. Uh, and, and basically what we're doing there is is going to a water body that may have an abundance of a certain species like northern pike or white bass or something like that, channel catfish. And this time of year, uh, we could sample them very easily with our nets. And then what we'll do is move those to another water body. Uh, the benefit there is in most cases, they're adult size fish. And so as soon as you put those in that water body, what we would say is they've recruited to the harvestable, po harvestable population. Basically, they're available for users right away. I mean, you look at when we stock walleye, fry, or fingerlings, we're going to rely on Mother Nature to provide the opportunity for those fish to grow for a couple of years before they reach a size that uh, would be desirable for an angler. Well, trap and transfer, if we're able to get our hands on these adult fish, you can have an instant impact. Uh, they're really popular, especially for our urban and community fisheries. It's a great way for some of these smaller water bodies that that may see a lot of pressure that we can get some adult fish in there where, where again, if we relied on just uh, a fish to be hatched in that system and grow to an adult size, uh, be really hard. So trap and transfer efforts in the spring can be really productive for us. Uh, we've got a number of waters around the state. Um, and additionally, not only sport fish, but we'll transport uh, gizzard chat as a forage base. So this is our time to get pre-spawn gizzard chat and stock them in certain waters. And the goal is they make a lot of little little gizzard chat for, for walleye and things to eat. So um, we do spend a lot of time in the spring focusing on trap and transfer uh, outside of our spawning activities. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's just one of those things that I know I've got to go along and do a little bit of that stuff. And it's a ton of fun to see what's in fisheries and ponds and whatever, but it's it's even more fun that, you know, you put them in a put them in a community fishery or you put them in maybe a, a lake that got, you know, the dam washed out or whatever it may be or or you know, whatever. And then to see, you know, down the line, especially if you're kind of following social media or you know some people in that area, you start hearing reports of, man, we went out and my kids caught 10 northerns the other day. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I saw Jake put them in there, you know. So that, that that's kind of one of those things that I think that we do that maybe doesn't get as much, you know, the glitz and the glam and the publicity, but it's sure, it, like you said, it, it's kind of immediate results kind of thing. Absolutely. And in some cases, we can do it in the spring when they're pre-spawn. You're not only putting adult fish in to be caught, but you're putting that reproductive potential in there, too, if they're able to, to spawn and reproduce in that system. So um, that's why, again, why we focus a lot on, on trap and transfer this time of year. Uh, <laughs> combination of pre-spawn and we can get our hands on those fish right on cool well we're talking you're in charge of or, well you're in charge of the whole program but we're talking kind of generally western south dakota right now um in fisheries 
Give me a couple of your big fisheries and, and what those outlooks are looking like. I know, you know, most of your reservoirs and stuff, you're down, water levels are down out there too. Yeah, absolutely. We are. Um, when we look at what we call our big three, which is our three irrigation reservoirs, which would be Angostura, Belfouche, and, and Shade Hill, they are down. Uh, we're not seeing much for inflows right now, unfortunately, so we'll see where we go. Uh, they are irrigation reservoirs, so we're expecting them to drop throughout the year as water calls come in downstream. Um, that being said, we, we hope that we have the infrastructure in place to keep access open that whole time. Um, and, but really, they do offer some, some excellent angling opportunities still. Um, primarily, they're going to be walleye-dominated fisheries. The majority of anglers out there are going to be targeting walleyes. However, they do offer some really good secondary species, uh, whether that's channel catfish, black crappie, white bass, and, and so really they can they can offer a variety, but the bread and butter would be the walleye fishery. Um, right now, based on our surveys, I'd say Angostura is probably our strongest of the three, but uh, you know certainly there's fish to be found in, in those ones. Um, and and while we you know focus on the walleye, of course, one of the nice things about Western South Dakota is the variety. Uh, you right. certainly have the Black Hills, and then you have that mix of cold water fisheries in there as well. Um, thankfully, our cold water reservoirs are actually holding in pretty well. Pactola and Deerfield, for example, and Sheridan, um, our water levels are, are are pretty good. They're not quite to 100% full pool, but they're only down a couple feet. Um, so we'll see what happens this summer. But going into the year, we're, we're in a better spot than when I think we thought we might be. And of course, with that, You've got any any number of different species to target, uh, certainly a variety of trout species, and then a number of them support some cool water species. Uh, we also have, you know, bass. Uh, we stock walleye in a couple Black Hills reservoirs, uh, black crappie, uh, yellow perch, northern pike. I mean, really a pretty good variety out here. Uh, that that surprised me um, about like Pactola and that that the those levels are still high. I mean, you didn't get anything for snow in the hills, really. No, we just never really, it didn't appear that they had a lot of water calls last year. So we never really dropped below, I think about 93, 93% full pool. Um, so while we didn't get much winter runoff, uh, they went into the winter in pretty good shape. Um, so we'll see what happens this year for downstream water calls. But uh, again, um, they did not come down the same way that the, the other western reservoirs did on the prairie oh, that's uh yeah that's a curveball to me I'm, I'm writing some notes now because now my brain's going the other way <laughs> um talk about did you see you know i i think you bring up pactola and and even deerfield um you know deerfield is probably in the winter you know it's got that perch bite and 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 so does um you know, some of the other ones, but they're probably Pactola, Deerfield. What are you seeing on lake trout? I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, about the lake trout fishing there. And then what are you seeing with those fish? Sure. You know, and a lot of it's going to be fairly anecdotal. We just, uh, sure. we have not run a, an angler use and harvest survey, creel har harvest in a while, our survey. But um, certainly on Pactola, saw a number of nice pictures with anglers that were mm -hmm. out there. I believe even our own John Lott caught uh, lake trout through the ice out there this really? summer. So. So that was good to see, but um, you know that population again. And, and our last surveys have, have showed a or indicated a really a really strong lake trout population. Um, the Deerfield population will get the occasional picture. Um, so that one was unique in how we we started that population with some retired broodstock from a federal hatchery in Wyoming, and mm -hmm. it was a finite number. 
and uh, we stocked those those large adult fish in. Uh, but they they spent their whole lives in the hatchery, raised on hatchery food. We weren't quite sure how they would do in a natural setting. Um, and, and what we saw was was primarily anecdotal. We saw some that were caught. We had a hard time ourselves sampling any. Um, so I'll admit we probably don't have a great handle on what's happening with that population, other than the fact that there's still a few in there, and we still see some pictures from time to time. But they've been uh, they've been pretty hard for us to get our hands on. Now that being said, one of the things of putting those adult fish in was was that they were sexually mature and there was that reproductive potential to help jumpstart that population. And uh, so we're still looking for that first sign of natural reproduction, but it certainly could be in that system. We just haven't come across it yet. Sure. Uh, what do you see for winter kill out your way? Anything? You hear any reports of smaller ponds or smaller lakes or anything? Any winter kill or anything? Yeah, we certainly, we, we get a few. Now, I don't believe we've had a lot this year, but uh, with the winter that we had, uh, we had some systems that they freeze over and then open back up on a windy day. And so right. we maybe didn't have the day's ice cover, even though we had a couple pretty good cold spells in there. We may not have had the day's ice cover that uh, really put a lot of pressure on it. Um, probably our big concern is just overall water level going into the summer. Uh, you know, so the, the concern about summer yeah. kill, just because we have systems that, they may be down four feet. Well, when the max depth is 10 feet, that, that's not a whole lot of wiggle room going into a potentially a hot, dry year. Yeah, I, I'm kind of worried about the same thing on a lot of my haunts, you know, around this period area for panfish and bass and stuff. I thought we were in pretty good shape, but now just in the last few weeks out kicking around when it's too windy to fish and going around and looking and stuff, some of them are a little bit lower than I thought and a little bit worried, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and that's where we're at. We're we're getting out and taking a look at a few of these systems. I mean, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of calls reporting winter kill, but uh, once we get out and see what what access looks like and what you know max depths looks like, that that's going to be somewhat of a telltale going into the summer. But uh, we could certainly use some use some moisture. That's for sure. Right. Um. You you talked about you know some walleyes in the hills in a few years back. Uh, you expanded where those walleyes are into a few of those lakes. Can you talk about some of those and what you're seeing, if anything, and, and what you're hearing from anglers even? Yeah, so that was in response to some some public input, uh, certainly a desire that existed with members of the public to increase walleye fishing opportunities in, mm -hmm. in western South Dakota and specifically the Black Hills. Um, prior management within the Black Hills focused really our cold water management, primarily put and take trout fisheries. Mm -hmm. So we, we certainly had some interest from the public to increase walleye fishing opportunities. So what we did was we went down a fairly lengthy road of, of public input. And, and Chris, <laughs> you're well aware you were part of that with the, yeah, the, the video. That's why I started video. laughing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we really want to do our due diligence, though, to, to not only listen to the users that were looking for walleye opportunities, but also potentially hear from other users because there were certainly some some varying user groups out there. So we, we put a survey together, we had public meetings, and really what shook out of it was that uh, there certainly was a contingent of our users that would like to see increased walleye opportunities in the Black Hills. Uh, now, at the same token, we had a, a contingent that, that really wanted to see management focus on cold water management in the hills, the idea being that they're a unique cold water habitat for South Dakota. So what we did, was try and come up with 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 a compromise, some middle ground. 
So what we decided to do was we had four reservoirs we were looking at. They're the four big ones in the Black Hills, which means anything over 130 acres, which really are not that big in the grand scheme of things. But for the Black Hills, those are big. That would be Stockade, Sheridan, Pectol, and Deerfield. Um, and what we what we came up with was that there were two reservoirs that fit that we thought we could stock with walleye. They had the appropriate species as forage, yellow perch. Um, and at the same token, it would not affect our cold water management. Um, again, we had some folks that wanted walleye opportunities, others that wanted to focus specifically on cold water fisheries. So what we did was stockade and Sheridan were the two reservoirs we decided on. Stockade does not receive any trout. Uh, it's not managed as cold water fishery, so that was an easy candidate. And then Sheridan, um, that one does receive trout. However, it's it's a put and take, which we mean by that we stock adult rainbow trout. The goal is that they're harvested by anglers and we'll stock more in there. We're not looking for any reproduction or natural recruitment. So really by adding walleye to that system, there wasn't any concern that those walleye would, would impact a, a young trout population or trout population in general. It wouldn't affect the fact that we still stock rainbow trout in there. Um, and so, uh, that was a good fit. And then Deerfield and Pactola, where we have naturally producing populations of trout, um, we we kept the focus on cold water management there. So again, it was trying to find that middle ground. Um, and what we're seeing is that those fish are starting to show up. It took a couple of years, but uh, we're seeing pictures of, uh, of walleye coming out of Stockade and Sheridan. I believe we probably cracked our first 20-inch walleye on Sheridan this year. So, um, I mean, they're starting to show up. What we tell people, though, is it's it's not necessarily a high density fishery. It's more of a, a bonus type fishery. If you go there targeting yellow perch, a black crappie, something like that, you certainly have the opportunity to catch a walleye. But if you're looking there specifically to harvest the limit of a walleye, it's probably going to be a pretty tough, tough order. Sure. And, and I know I've I've fished, um, especially Sheridan enough through it, you know, through the ice in the winter, and and my friends out that way were we're kind of treating it that way. I was like, yeah, it's nice to know that we got a chance once we, you know, we're chasing these perch around that there's a, you know, a decent chance that we can stick one of these fish because, you know, they're, they're Eastern South Dakota kids that are transplants out that way now. And, and I, I think it's appreciative, but you know, that was a long road. You, you talked about compromise and, and doing some public input stuff. Um, you were a pup when that started, and and I think both of us aged a little bit when we went through that, and you had a hell of a lot more to do with it than I did. <laughs> well, we have some passionate anglers in South Dakota, which right. is a great thing. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a good process. I mean, I, I think we heard from, from both sides. Uh, everybody certainly had their seat at the table, and um, hopefully we found a, a compromise that works for, for everyone involved. Yeah, I think that... That was an interesting one because I've been been through a lot of these and I know you have too about, you know, people that are like basically diametrically opposed to, you know, one idea or one person wants one idea and somebody else wants the 180. And it never really did get really vicious or anything. I mean, you know, a lot of these anglers know each other a long time and, and you know, one of them would never pick up a fly rod and the other one would never, uh, you know, cast the spinner or something at a trout. So you know, very different folks, but realizing, you know, we have good fisheries, let's not mess everything up, but can we try something and where do we find some middle ground? Mm -hmm. So, hey, you brought up stockade and maybe this is better better fit for down the road when we talk about a little bit of the habitat and access stuff, but got some plans for stockade. Are we doing a bunch of rehab to that lake maybe even? 
Yeah, we are. So we've identified that as as one of our quote unquote showcase lakes where we'd like to do a big rehabilitation of it just to uh to really show you know what what a rehab can do for a system. Um like many small impoundments or impoundments in South Dakota, it's it's aged. Uh, it's suffering from just years of sedimentation, uh, nutrient right. inputs. And so it, it's one that really could use a lot of attention. And just its location makes it an ideal candidate. Uh, you're right there at the crown jewel of our state parks. Gets a lot of use um, and, and really has been a, a very good fishery, but it just suffers from degraded water quality. So we do have plans. Um, in order that we're going to do a, a drain dredging just a big old just an overhaul of the whole system and the goal would be that especially now that we have this new funding mechanism and the habitat stamp to show what these stamp dollars can really put on the ground right uh, you, you know that that one's cool i like i i like stockade a lot every time i get out to the hills uh you know i try to go out there and kick around and fish a little bit whether it's in a kayak or just walking around the shore and it, it's not a very big lake, and, and you think about busy, right? When you think about a busy, busy lake, you think of you know bushes landing on Oahe, and there's 200 boats on on you know at the ramp. But I I would challenge just about anybody anytime you drive by Stockade, which like you said is on the western entrance to Custer State Park. For those of you who don't know, but anytime you go by there, there's somebody out there. I mean, it could be 20 mile an hour winds and raining. And there's somebody out there kicking around fishing or, you know, birding or kayaking or fishing or fishing. I mean, it gets a lot of use. And, and like you said, a lot of it is because of where it's located. But also that thing's kicked out a lot, a lot of fish over the last, you know, 50 years. So Yeah, it has. But, uh, you know, this um, just low dissolved oxygen in portions of the lake. We've had an aeration system in there for a number of years, which is really just a Band-Aid fix. I mean, it's really right. just just asking for a big overhaul and a restart. And uh, we think it's a, an absolutely excellent opportunity candidate for that. And so plans are in the works. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a fast process to, to right. undertake a project like that. And it's not necessarily a cheap one either. But uh, we've done a lot of the groundwork. Uh, we have ideas on how much sediment is in there that we'd like to get out, which helps with cost estimates. Um, again, it's just, uh, it's one of those that it's just, you know, reservoirs age and that one is just, it's just aged and it, it's mm -hmm. just at that point that it, it needs some help. And it, it is funny because I was talking to some, some, uh, people that were asking me about like our Lake Alvin project and then Stockade came up and, and, um, and then even like Mina Lake up by Aberdeen fixing the dam and, and I said, you guys, this stuff is expensive. Well, why should it be expensive? Don't, you know, doesn't GFP, don't you guys do a lot of that work? It's like, yeah, some, but, you know, there's, you know, it's not like any of us really know how I have or have the equipment right at the fishery center to go build a dam or, you know, removing sediment and stuff. If you look at a lake the size of, of, of Stockade, there's a whole lot of stuff you got to move out of there. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's not cheap, and that—that's the thing that, like you brought up, the habitat stamp dollars kind of allows us to maybe tackle some of these bigger, high-profile projects. Yep, and we've got a really good opportunity now with that—that that funding in place to to really address some of the aging infrastructure we have around the state. Uh, and uh, you know, with that, you're absolutely right. Um, it, there's a lot of steps that go into it. There's a lot of technical expertise that we need 
certainly outside of my realm, such as engineering and then just boots on the ground and then the actual uh, operating heavy machinery. I'd do more harm than good if I was in there doing anything like that. So. <laughs> Anyhow, Todd, I'm leaving as a stuck skid steer somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's cool stuff. That's exciting. I mean, that's a couple of years down the road at Stockade, you think, Jake? Or? Yep. Yep. We're hoping, I believe, to get the RFP out here soon this year um, and just kind of keep the process moving. Right. But, uh, you know, again, on our end, we've done some of the initial work, sediment surveys and things and, and putting a plan together. But, uh, again, it's just one of those that if we're going to do it, we want to make sure we do it the right way. And so we're we're not going to want to make sure we check all the boxes. Right. Um, we talked about, you know, some of the probably the, the better known, you know, even even stockades a little bit, maybe less known as far as fishing quality. But we talked about some of the bigger, bigger um fisheries in your area what about some unknown ones whether it's for trout or panfish or you know maybe they aren't that big and they're located off the i mean there's a ton you you probably got the most diverse um fisheries than land the biggest area too but just talk about some of those ones that maybe people drive by or look on a map and they don't look like much but there's you know there's some potential or spots you don't have to give up any of your secret spots you know uh Sorensen and, and uh Chris Golib or uh, um, Chris weren't giving up any of their uh, lower Missouri spots. So, sure. No, you know you're right. We, we're very fortunate to have just the diversity of opportunities that exist out here. Um, and I'll tell you, as somebody that likes to to chase trout with a fly rod, just about the whole hills can be your oyster. Uh, we don't have combat fishing i mean there's a lot of days you could go out and count the number of anglers you see on one hand on our streams and we have some really good streams out here um, spearfish creek high density brown trout fishery rainbow trout in a few areas brook trout the headwaters but we're in certain areas touching that 5,000 fish per mile which uh that's a i'll tell you what that i'll put that up against just about any western trout stream um and again fantastic access and it you drive somewhere and you see an angler, you just go up a quarter mile and it'll be empty. So that's always a good one. Excellent opportunities through Rapid City, Rapid Creek. When, when I lived in Rapid City, was a fantastic place to fish. Excellent access again. Um, so good opportunities there. We've got around oh, a couple dozen small impoundments in the hills that we stock regularly with, with trout, put and take fisheries. Uh, these are easy fisheries that, that, that people can access. They don't they don't require a boat. We're talking shore fishing with very basic equipment and you can be out there enjoying it. So a lot of opportunities there. You know, when we move out onto the prairie, I mentioned the big reservoirs and, and how popular walleye are in those reservoirs and for good reason. But I'll tell you what, there's some there's some really good catfish that can be found out there. I've caught some, some really nice white bass and crappie. Um, so you've got some secondary species that are really good. Uh, and then don't overlook you know, we've got some grassland dams that, boy, I went to a few this summer with the U.S. Forest Service that had what appeared to be some good populations of fish in. The problem was you had to drive a mile through pasture, but but we've got resources to help get people those fisheries, GPS points, um, signs, and, and they're just hidden gems on the prairie, and I bet you could count the number of anglers that they see on one hand in a year. So, um, you know, there, there's just a lot of good hidden gems out there. I think that, you know, when somebody calls me up, my first question generally is, what are you looking to fish? Because just about any species they tell me, I can I can point them in a direction in Western South Dakota. So that's, that's really a unique aspect of, of this part of the world. 
I think, you know, and you know me, I'm a, I am love to shore fish and, and it's sort of limited. You know, you got a couple months, maybe three months where you can really have good opportunities and stuff. But in the in the hills, you know, you brought up some of those put and take fisheries for trout. And you want to talk about like memory making, you know, machines. If If you bring families and you don't have to have all that skill to necessarily be, you know, uh, roll casting a fly or anything. I mean, just a little bobber and some night crawlers or a piece of corn and stuff on a lot of these. And you're fishing from shore, it's not a hundred degrees and, and you've got a really, really great opportunity to catch, catch a bunch of fish. Yep. And, and you know, a lot of these fisheries have multiple species in them uh, mm-hmm. and they, including trout. We stock a number of systems. Of course, rainbow is probably our bread and butter, but, uh, Center Lake, for example, we stock with tiger trout. We stock with Yellowstone cutthroat. Um, Sturgis reservoirs are some real unique walk-in fisheries. So for folks that want to get the experience of a, kind of a hiking, like you're going to the Bighorns, a walk-in fishery, um, we've got Yellowstone cutthroat that are waiting at the end of the trail for you there. Um, just another unique opportunity. Um, you know, shore fishing, as you mentioned, there's just some really good access uh, really in a lot of our systems with the, the combination of game fishing park zone land and then federal land, U.S. Forest Service, um, Bureau of Reclamation. And so really we're just, I'd just say, really fortunate to have excellent access when it comes to either boat or shore angling. Yeah, you talked, and you know this, I've been a Center Lake in Custer State Park like 10 times trying to catch a, a tiger trout and I can never catch one. And I had a group of people out there last spring and you know i'm not a fly angler by any means but my daughter ties flies and i can i can cast to a certain certain distance and and not totally make myself look like an idiot and uh this person i was helping their first cast kind of snagged up and it kind of flipped out about five feet and trout came up and grabbed it and brought it in and it was a tiger trout and i just i just about broke the rod Yep. But I, I did catch a bunch of those cutthroats that day, though. So, hey, um, just off the top of my head, uh, Horse Thief Lake over by Mount Rushmore kind of went underneath. I mean, they drained that thing and did a bunch of stuff. Is that up and running and and fish catching again? It is. So that was part of the, I believe, the scenic byway project, which included Bismarck as well and Lakota Lake. Uh, so three of those small impoundments that were drained and dredged. Um, but yes, they are they are full again and and stocked with fish, so they're up and running. And uh, boy, we we were actually we that was just part of a graduate study with South Dakota State University. We got some really useful information out of horse thief, but uh, they're up and running. And again, they're they're stocked frequently, and the excellent access is on that water, as as you're well aware of. And that's a that's an awfully pretty one to fish too. Yeah. Um. So we're talking about, you know, I ask everybody kind of this time of year, this early spring, mid spring, we're talking about shore fishing opportunities and stuff. And and your yours is really diverse, your area. We've obviously talked about it for 20 minutes. But there's still some of those areas, you know, like on Angostura or Sheridan or or heck Deerfield for or Pactola for uh Pike. Um are those folks are they primarily when you're shore fishing, are you looking for a shallow water for those fish to be up, you know, kind of in that warmer area? Are they looking for moving water? What are those, where's your fishing activity and where are those fish, be it, you know, trout or walleyes or northerns or whatever, are they still pretty much the same? I mean, a lake's a lake, right? And fish are fish. Yep. 
It, it is, but there are some exceptions. And, and for example, when you look at, say, Deerfield Reservoir, uh, we've got a population rainbow trout in there, uh, naturally reproducing. They're a spring spawner. And so this time of year, you'll get a push of those fish into Castle Creek, its inlet, and it can create some just fantastic fishing there as you get those fish staging at the inlet and then moving into Castle Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of our other spring spawning fish are, provide those opportunities, but that's one that really sticks out that anglers can really key in on. Um, you know, this time of year as well, uh, this is the best time of year. If you want to, if you're a shore angler and you want to try and catch a lake trout in Pactola, it's going to be this springtime. Um, you know, before surface temps warm up and they move offshore, I mean, they're, they're going to be accessible. Um, but at the same token, you know, walleye anglers, uh, they're certainly, you know, having a good time right now on some of these western, and not just the large reservoirs either, some of our smaller reservoirs, such as like a Curlew or some of those north of right. New Wonderwood. Um, but it's just a, it's a really good time with these cool temps that these fish are accessible from shore before anything moves moves off to find that, that cooler water. Um, and again, you just have the, the diversity of it, especially our cold water species that, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they could be just about anywhere in the system they want versus you get to July and August and they're, they're pushed out deeper. Sure. And, you know, like those, you're talking about those lake trout or those big rainbows, big browns and stuff. What are, what are they surviving? They're not eating nymphs and little bugs like a, You'd think of fly fishermen or a child. What are they eating? Sure. Well, a lot depends on what's available to them. So, right. um, for example, when I say that in uh, in Spearfish Creek, and we've seen it certainly in Rapid Creek, um, we have adult brown trout. There's really no secondary species there. Uh, so, actually, we see a a level of cannibalism, um, sure. and, and that happens when you're shot when you're sampling a fish and you pull up a brown, and sure enough, there's a there's a tail sticking out of its mouth, and it's going to be another brown. Sure. Um, some of our other systems, though, primarily lakes, have some other forage in there. Uh, Rainbow smelt, for example, in, uh, in Pactola. Uh, when we've done some diet analysis, now this was focusing on northern pike. However, um, it probably translates to some other species, too. But those, those smelt, uh, when they're accessible, are a big part of their, their prey component, their diet items. So um, in cases like that, you're going you're gonna to run into those species. Um, actually, interesting enough, our lake trout, when we did diet analysis there, we saw a high rate of bluegill and rock bass in Pactola in, in those diet items, which mm-hmm. is pretty unexpected. However, they're opportunistic feeders, and if it's something they think they can eat, they're going to they're gonna eat it. So, okay. yep, so it, it just kind of depends. So, you know, each system out here usually offers a different kind of forage. In, in some cases, that forage may just be a smaller version of what they right, are. Right. But, uh but they're still going to, you know, switch to piscivory, eat fish, cannibalize, whatever it takes, because you're right. Um, it's awfully hard to grow when you're that size and you're trying to eat bugs. Right. Uh, you know, there was, in, I, I love to fish northern pike, especially in the spring, and I love big pike. And there was a while there where I was, my argument was Pactola was going to crank out the next day record pike just because of that fact. You know, the smelter there, um, but they're also eating trout. And, you know, they've got a lot of high fat, really good food. And, and when, when Oahe is going really well and, and you can get a spot dialed in in the spring, I think back about, it's probably 2014, 2015, we had some spots where there were some big northerns and you would literally catch one uh, using a big smelt. And there was almost always a small salmon coming out of its gob somewhere, you know, and you're thinking that high fatty food 
and those pike are eating them. And I mean, that's while that's an expensive meal for the department, it sure is good food for those big, big, big predators. It is. And and what we saw in Pactola, for example, uh, those northern pike certainly keyed in on those those hatchery trout once they got big enough to eat them. Um, we have changed a few things to try and reduce that amount of predation by, by raising larger fish and stocking them in there. <laughs> but um, they do they do produce growth rates, certainly in Pactola, that were... <laughs> That were on par, or even maybe a little better than Oahe, but right. there are still some large individuals that are that are caught each year in, in that fishery. Yep. Yeah, that's cool stuff. What's um, you're talking about? I know, and it, this is kind of foreign to folks that that aren't maybe necessarily in the fisheries world, and it was foreign to me until I started hanging around with guys like you. But like return to angler, and you you talked about maybe hatchery fish and 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 you know the the amount of money that we have in a trout that gets eaten by a pike you know and that there's no return to angler on it unless you catch the pike eventually but where I, what i'm getting at jake is like what do you think limits or really helps anglers out in that western south coast specifically the black hills what's limiting their success or what's enhancing success what are those easy answers i guess well i'd if say when it comes to to put and take fisheries, what we've seen um, a lot of times relates to, say, frequency of stocking. Um, and we see that tied almost directly to satisfaction. And for example, if you have a small pond in the Black Hills and it's been stocked recently and density of trout is high, uh, catch rates are generally high as well. Um, now, the further away you get from those stocking as catch rates decline, that's usually as, as that abundance has, is decreasing right. as well associated with harvest. And we start to see satisfaction start to decrease as well. And so that's why when we look at our put and take fisheries in particular, uh, we try and maximize our product. So we're trying to find the right number to stock at a time. And we found in some system we, we can get by with what we call big pulse stocking, where we'd stock several thousand fish uh, right after ice out, and they're able to disperse enough that it, it's just big enough, for example, that they can disperse and provide a, a fairly consistent catch rate for a longer period of time versus sure. something that might only be a, an acre or two large. You know, you stock a, a high density of fish, well, they may not persist very long because, because anglers are, are able to target them, harvest them, and, and then right. we've got to come back in and stock right. them again. So when it comes to our put and take fisheries, uh, a lot of it depends on, you know, how how well are we able to put product in there to make them available for the user. Right. And and, uh, and I know you guys have schedules on, you know, how often you put some of those, especially trout and stuff, you put those in there. And it, it's it's always kind of fascinated me about, you know, okay, you're going to, you got a lake like Center Lake and you dump a bunch of fish in there and now ah, you're done for the year. Well, it's not even close to the fact, right? I mean, it's, They'll disperse, but you know, they're also getting beat on, so you got to replace them. So. Yep, and, and our goal is to to keep those catch rates high, and uh, you know, goal for those put and take fish is that they do end up in an angler's creel, that they are harvested. Right. You know, we're not looking for them to persist in the system and and reproduce or anything. I mean, they're there for for anglers to utilize. Cool. Um, what you know, you've got a dynamic fisheries out there and, and they run everything from bullheads to you know lake trout um we've got a day a driver a case of beer 
a bunch of rods and minnows, you and I, we got an entire day. How many species of fish do you think we could catch? Boy, you know, might need more than a case of beer too, because if we got a driver. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd say the you know probably the best way to do it is, you know, say we're going to focus on the Black Hills, we're going to just jump on 385 and, and head south. We're going to start in the northern hills because we're going to be able to hit some small impoundments and get our trout species. But then 385 is going to take us right by Pactola and right by Sheridan, and that's where we have opportunities for yellow perch, black crappie, smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, walleye, northern pike, um, rock bass. Um, and then as you take south, we can uh, we can hit some of the streams. We're going to go by streams that have brown trout, have brook trout, rainbow trout. Uh, so, you know, really, um, you know, I, I don't think it would be out of the question to say if you were really focusing hard on it, you could catch a dozen species just driving 385. We've got 11 just right there on 385. Yep, and I don't think I mentioned lake trout. Um, you know, it's just, uh, there's just a lot of good opportunities and, and just the diversity of it too. You got cold water, you got cool water. Right. Um, and, and a lot of these, you know, again, we're, we're not even getting off a major highway there and, and there's good access. So, um, you know, that that's just the great opportunities there. And then, you know, if you wanted to take a day and it's going to, be a little bit more miles on the vehicle, but uh, say you want to have a day on the prairie, um, you could you could drive around and hit a number of spots, and there you're going to have chance for walleye, bass, crappie, channel catfish, um, northern pike. Uh, so again, you've got a pretty good pretty good option there. You're just you know it's western South Dakota, so you may be driving a little bit in between <laughs> in between spots. And and let it be known, I said we had a driver and. Uh, you know, we're not we're not uh, imbibing and driving or anything like that. So, what's um? You know, I, I asked this question too, and I've got some interesting answers, and not even ones that I expected. Like the coolest fish or most interesting species of fish that you've come across, like whether it was in a net when you're spawning, or like, oh wow, I've never seen that, or something maybe in your neck of the woods that nobody really knows about or thinks about. You know. I, I think when you're when when we're on the river running walleye spawning nets, just the the size and the variety of what you see in a river system. Um, I know the first time we pulled up a net and it had a, a big flathead in it, I was I, I thought that was pretty amazing. Right. Um, but you know, for for being out here, I think running a net one of the coolest things was uh, probably Center Lake. I, I held what would have been the state record tiger trout. Right. Uh, we sampled it so. Saw that it would have been the state record, took a picture and released it back in. We were doing some sampling and stuff. So that was pretty unique to, you know, hold the state record and know that it was out there for an angler to encounter. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm jealous because I still haven't caught one of those, but I've touched one, but mm -hmm. uh, certainly wasn't a state record. Um, let's let's talk about some habitat and access. We talked about uh stockade a little bit but with those habitat dollars and the and the push for habitat and access uh what are the crews out west doing there's lots of good access um but you could always do better but just talk about maybe some stuff that you got going on yeah we, we've got a number of good projects out here and i will admit a lot's focused on on access because while it is really good you're right it could always be better uh and for example a lot of our systems on the prairie they're old as well and you get just this ring of cattails. I know what you're talking, you know what I'm talking about when right. you get to a system that's sedimentation. So we've been able to hire some contractors to go out and remove cattails because in a lot of cases, that's all it takes is to get an angler to the water. 
Um, we've, we've certainly done a lot of, of fishing piers and some small fishing docks, but even just something as small as just clearing cattails to, to make a spot that somebody can, can get to that water. Because even if they're only eight feet away, if there's seven foot tall cattails in between in that eight feet, that can be a that can be a big deal. So we're doing a lot of work that way. As I mentioned, you know, fishing piers, we've got some small fishing docks. Uh, we've been putting in some of these fish habitat structures in a number of our waters. The, the goal would be that, uh, you know, we provide some additional habitat and complexity out there for these fish. But then additionally, if we're going to put a fishing pier out on a water, we're going to drop a few of these fish attractants within casting distance so that, you know, the hope is that not only can we get somebody in the water, but we can maybe entice a fish to be within reach of that angler on that fishing dock or fishing right. pier. Um, we've done some... Uh, some small dam repair where we had a consulting company go around and, and inspect all of our, our, our dam structures themselves, uh, give us recommendations. And now that that's done, we're starting to chip away at that. So we're, we're fixing some of this aging infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these are from the thirties and uh, they're just, they just need some help. And so again, now that we have that funding mechanism, we're able to go in and, and really do some good work that in the past it, it would, it had been deferred maintenance. Right. And I, I know, um, it, what's the one, is it north of Nislin? What the heck is that one? Uh, Newell Lake? Yeah, Newell Lake, right, mm -hmm. not Nislin, but Newell Lake. I mean, that's got a big project ahead of it, too, and with a kind of a wreck dam and, and maybe some sediment stuff. But, you know, one of them that, that really interested me, and I think it's one of the first times, like, you and I ever really spent much time together, is down uh, the big stream kind of habitat restoration project, um, talk about that, and I know it's not necessarily a habitat stamp thing, but but that that's been a lot of work and a really good partnership with some of the you know local clubs and stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. So that uh, what you're referring to is is Rapid Creek below Pactola Reservoir in, in an area we call the the Rapid Creek Basin, uh, and it's it's our probably our premier trout fishery. Uh, it, it is a catch release area, but it does support the highest size structure of trout. Um, I know the largest trout I've sampled in there was a 13 pound brown, and that was uh, quite the fish. Uh, there are lake trout that actually are come through the dam, so that's an area that you could catch a lake trout in a stream. Um, <laughs> but it was an area that uh, just through a lot of high water events, uh, it, it just it had a lot of scouring that occurred, and there wasn't a whole lot of habitat. It was essentially a, a just a box with water moving through it. Uh, so we were able to work with some. Some local angling groups, uh, really helpful in that. And then also our federal partners, Black Hills National Forest and uh, Corps of Engineers. And so we were able to, to implement a fairly big habitat project a couple of years ago. And that included boulder placements, uh, root wads, just some boulder clusters. And the whole idea there was to increase stream complexity and just increase holding and cover for not just adults, but also juveniles, um, sub-adults, and then even, even fry. So the idea was that we're trying to help every life stage of trout, and we're also trying to do it at just about any flow regime that they would see because it's a it's a regulated fishery. So we get high water, we get low water, depending on what's coming through the dam. So we wanted to make sure that whatever we put in could handle that whole range of flows. But uh, it was a really good project. You're right, that was pre-habitat stamp, but it gave us a template for, for future stream habitat projects. We're hoping to finish phase two of that this fall winter. And um, anyway, those are those are some really good boots on the on the ground projects that we've done and, and really show some good collaboration with our partners as well. 
Yeah, and and I know I've gotten gotten a few calls from some folks asking to help out uh, with that project and I with the phase two and and uh, I think we'll probably be helping out there along the way. But that you know that's really cool for for somebody like me who's you know you see a lake and you know okay it's you know there's habitat and here's where they are and to lay it out and go not all streams are created equal and this is scoured out and while it looks really great there's nothing for them here other than water and it, that's kind of eye-opening for folks. Good stuff. What did I forget? What did I not hit, man? You know, I think the big thing, Chris, is, you know, whether you're coming to Western South Dakota to fish the Black Hills or the Prairie Waters, big thing is just, just getting out there. Um, we have no shortage of opportunities. And uh, it just, you know, the big thing that I always tell people is that the first step is is getting to the water. You know, wherever right. you want to go, it's... Uh, <laughs> You're going to catch more fish being at the water than you are sitting at home. So right. that, that's always the first step. And we got a lot of good opportunities, a lot of good resources, excellent staff out here, and they work really hard to provide the best fishing opportunities that we can. Right. And I think it, it is funny, you know, South Dakota is, you talk to a lot of people that, oh, yeah, we're coming to the, you know, from outside the state. We're coming to, you know, we're going to go to Wabe and fish for a few days, or we're going to go to Pier or Platts or Chamberlain, and we're going to fish. And, uh, you know, and then people are like, we're going to the Black Hills on a vacation. And never once does the idea of a fishing rod enter, you know, it's we're going to hit hit the monuments and do all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, if you really did your homework and realized, you know, the quality of fishing and the access, I think the accessibility of the fishing, especially in the Black Hills, it is it dwarfs the rest of South Dakota as far as year round accessibility to to have access to fish from shore or even just a small little boat or, or you know, belly boat or a kayak or something. I, I think that the opportunities out your way dwarf the rest of South Dakota as far as shore fishing and, and small craft fishing for sure. Yep, and, and I'll tell you what, there's an awful lot of trout anglers that uh, they drive by some really good trout streams because they think they got to go to Wyoming and Montana <laughs> and they could right. save a little bit of gas if they just stopped right. in, in South Dakota. Right, well, but four and a half dollar gas maybe those guys will be stopping but but thanks for your time jake it's always fun uh to hang out with you and then to talk with you um i think we covered it all man it was almost an hour so i told you it would be about an hour so yeah you got it buddy it was good it was fun cool well until next time uh keep in touch my friend jake davis western south dakota fisheries guru and wreck of the edmund fitzgerald survivor Without seeing how to me Having time blind just best by without seeing by to me yeah. Good stuff from my man Jake Davis. Thanks Jake for taking the time. Uh Jake's a handsome fella and uh knows his stuff and uh Good Minnesota boy, kind of a northern Minnesota boy like me, born and raised up in that country anyway. So uh, I think he's from Duluth or up in that area. So Jake's a good dude, knows his stuff, and uh, some interesting stuff about the opportunities there. And like I said, I really like it out there. It's it's There's just tons of chances to go and explore the hills and, and, and find little out-of-the-way places, whether it's put-and-take trout or, you know... Um, you know, some sneaky perch opportunities and crappie opportunities and stuff. So good stuff from Jake. 
Um, anyway, we got uh, turkey season going full blast. Uh, send in those pictures of those cool turkey hunts that you've had, especially with new hunters. Not necessarily kids, but just new hunters. Send those in to us and we'll share them on our social media. Um, I believe elk applications at this time are now open. So uh, be sure to get in there and get familiar with that Go Outdoor system and get your elk applications in. If you're having trouble, you know, don't don't be afraid to call into our call center or even call into one of our offices and, and uh, we'll get you, squared, get you squared away. It's a new system. Um, you know, I think we're all kind of getting used to it and working through it. So get those elk applications in, get out fishing, get out turkey hunting, uh, get out bird watching. Do whatever, do whatever you can to be outside. I got two cardinals in my yard, and that's really cool. They're usually not around, and, and you see them occasionally, but I got a male and a female howling at each other, chirping at each other every morning, so that's pretty cool. But I uh, hope everything is well, and I hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you down the line, and thanks for listening to the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks podcast and blast. It's back to my place where-